630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Back to McDavid, who earlier tonight scored his 30th. One-timer, cleft bomb, rebound, score! Milan Lucic with his third career hat-trick, and it's unnatural, Hattie! He'll swing it out to the outside, and it is to the end zone. Touchdown, Eskimos! With the touchdown, and the Eskimos take the lead with less than a minute to go. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Well, how are you doing? Hope you had a great weekend. Pretty good one for the Edmonton Eskimos. Man, they took control of that game in Winnipeg. They're going to Calgary for the West Final. They played in the West Final in 2015. That was on the brick field at Commonwealth Stadium. Eskimos won that one, went on to win the Grey Cup. Of course, Calgary will host this game. It'll be on 6.30, Chad, Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock for the countdown to kickoff. The game will start at 2.30. Jason Moss, the head coach of the Edmonton Eskimos, coming up at 7.30 with Morley Scott. Every Monday we have the Eskimos Coaches Show. We will also welcome Blake Dermott on board in about half an hour to Inside Sports as he breaks down yesterday's victory over the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Man, the Blue Bombers' pass defense came as advertised, didn't it? Eskimos receivers running wide open for touchdowns in that game, and of course, I'm sure it was hotly debated all day in Winnipeg, the fake punt in the third quarter, big part of turning that one in the Eskimos' favor. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 630 Chet. Hey, I want to remind you that some guests on Inside Sports get gift certificates to Northern Chicken. Book the Rumpus Room for up to 12 of your closest friends and dig in for a family-style picnic. Find out more at Northern Chicken. ChickenYEG.com. They're on 124th Street and 107th Avenue. So the Eskimos will uh, take a couple of days off here, not getting back to practice until Thursday, though I'm sure a lot of meetings and video work will be going on, getting ready to face the Stamps on Sunday. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders advancing, beating Ottawa. So they'll meet Toronto in the East Final. So just to beat my familiar drum... Thanks to the CFL's insistence on the divisional playoff format, in one semifinal, you have the third seed playing the first seed, and in the other one, you have the fourth seed on the road to play the fifth seed. If, if that makes sense to anybody, feel free to tell me. It doesn't make sense to me, but I just want to, just want to get that out there. Uh, congratulations to many of you who correctly picked Saskatchewan and Edmonton to win the two games this weekend. As we often say on this show, Kellen, and you know this is true, right? the only predictions that are referred to after the fact are the correct ones. Yeah. And several people texted in last week, and, and those were my picks as well, and I'm virtually right once a year. So this was it. That exactly. I swept the weekend. Uh, Edmonton wins and Saskatchewan wins. Uh, and now they uh, Saskatchewan goes on to Toronto. Edmonton goes on to Well, Calgary. here's the so thing about go. that Saskatchewan game in Toronto coming up uh, this weekend. That's going to be a home game for Saskatchewan anyway because Toronto's got, what, 15, 20 fans in total? That's it? Well, apparently they're uh, going to have their best attendance of the season already. Well, and yeah. And Saskatchewan's but... actually staying out west, all, mm-hmm. or pardon, out, out east yeah. all week. 
So, but they always have a lot of fans. And Toronto's a, travels Toronto's well too, a so. very. I think Toronto's a very good team. Oh, they are. They they finished the season really well. They got a good running back. S.J. Green's a great receiver. They got a good old Ricky at quarterback. That's a tough matchup for Saskatchewan and the crossover teams, mm. the wild card teams, whatever you want to call them. It's always been a West team going East. Has never made the Grey Cup. A this few is, now have won the semifinal. Yeah. No one's ever. No one's ever won them both. This is text. usually the game that they stumble on as the final game. So. Got a text here to six thirty six thirty from West End Ron who says, "Hey Reed, great team effort by the Eskimos. Loved it, and the O line pushing Gable in for a touchdown was a thing of beauty." Uh, one question: uh, Why did Winnipeg go for a two-point convert with no time on the clock? That was bush league. The Esks are rolling. Well, I think you just you're getting as many points as possible. You're going to lose 39-30 instead of 39-32 instead of 39-30. I didn't I didn't have a problem with it, but clearly it didn't matter at that point. They got their last touchdown with no time left. By the way, don't forget you can always text 630-630 and the open line number is 780-496-0063. Meanwhile, your Edmonton Oilers going 2-1-1 one one on a four-game road trip. And now the Oilers come thundering the other way. It's McDavid with Letty back. Dropped it off. Dry sidle. That's McDavid. What timers Score! And Edmonton wins in Brooklyn! Russell can't get it to him. He'll reset with 20 seconds to go. He gives it up for McDavid. He's got a breakaway. Pulls up, centers. What time is score? This time it's McDavid to Dreisaitl for the winner! Held in by Dayarnay with Cassian all over. Kept alive by McDonough. Shea in front. Tiptoe by Rick Nash. 3-2 Rangers. Pair of power play goals here in the back half of the second period. It'll be Oshie for the Caps leading it off against Laurent Brassois. Oshie 54% in the regular season in shootouts. He's in over the line. He's a right-handed shot. Top of the circles. Hash mark shoots and scores. Letestu. 42% in his career to give the Oilers life in the third round to keep their hopes for a win alive. He shoots and denied by Braden Holtby. A perfect three of three in the shootout for Holtby. And Edmonton will have to settle for a point. So the game-winning and game-deciding goals and saves from the Oilers' road trip and, you know, I was looking back at those games. So they go 2-1-1, one, and one, not bad, above 500 on the road. They're, they're certainly defending better. Four games, if you don't count the credit that the Capitals get for the shootout goal, the Oilers allowed eight goals against in four games. And that, that also included an empty netter. They scored eight times. If you just count regulation time, because the Oilers got two goals in overtime, they were outscored 8-6. So... The Oilers have cleaned up a lot of things defensively, especially on the road. Safe percentage on the road trip for the Oilers goaltenders. Brassois played yesterday. Talbot played the other three. 9.43 save percentage on the road trip. Penalty killing. Yes, they gave up a couple costly ones against the New York Rangers. But the penalty killing on the road trip, 11 for 13. 84.6%. Not bad. The scoring. It's, it's stunning, guys. It's stunning. The Oilers with a shooting percentage of 6.9% on the road trip. 
and their power play went one for six. They didn't, they didn't get a power play opportunity yesterday against Washington, so that was uh, kind of disappointing. The Oilers have actually had the fewest power plays in the entire NHL, which is hard to believe given some of the abuse that McDavid takes when he's rushing up ice. But maybe that's a topic for another day. So it's it continues to be a problem that that there isn't a lot of scoring for the Edmonton Oilers. And and again, and I'm gonna if you you might have heard this on the face off show yesterday, but it really is the money clip here. It really is the money clip here. Head coach Todd McClellan asked about moving Leon Dreisidel perhaps to center or changing up the lines. We can put Leon on his own line and uh, give him wingers, and then Nuge moves down the line, and, and in my opinion, he's been one of our better players, so why would we do that? We can put Leon down on the third line, and uh, then he's got to be productive with some players that aren't producing right now. They're not getting it going, so... Um, until we see a little bit of life from the bottom six, uh, we'll keep our lines the way they are. And uh, if they show a little bit of life, a little bit of ability to score and to uh, to create chances, uh, then Leon will have some wingers. And it's as simple as that. Not always. They always say, "Well, okay, you keep pairs together, and then you can put another winger with." Them. Well, it's not that easy. We've got. Uh, guys aren't scoring. We've got ten players in the bottom six that have scored about two goals total. And that's disappointing. Um, it's flat out disappointing. They're disappointed individually. So I'm not saying anything uh, uh, that's going to damage them as individuals or their confidence, but we expected a lot more from every one of those guys. And, um, you know, Test, Cass, those type of guys that were here in the past, they have to pick their games up and, and lead that group there. So that was from before yesterday's game. Jujar Kara, a depth guy who'd been a healthy scratch for several games, comes into the lineup, plays pretty well, and gets a goal and a good hard-working scramble front-of-the-net goal, the kind that the Oilers need to find a few more of. And, and you know, this, this, is coming up, this has been coming up a lot, and, and people have been calling in after games. Rob Brown's had a couple heated discussions with a couple of you on the road trip about line combinations and moving the lines around. I'm not really sure there's a wrong answer at this point, though there are some things that personally I I would think would not be a great idea. And McClellan alluded to one of them, is that I wouldn't mess around with Nugent Hopkins. I think he can play with Lucic and whoever else. And I think Todd put it well. Ryan Nugent Hopkins is is playing well, and I think Todd is looking at it is is that you're you're punishing some of the guys who are playing well if you put them with guys who aren't generating anything. And if the bottom six guys aren't forechecking hard enough and getting pucks to the net and creating scrums in front of the goal, he's not going to move those guys up to put them with offensive players who are going to get them the puck. He wants them to shine on their own. Maybe not in terms of the creativity and the flair that some other players have, but at least in the offensive zone time and some attack time. I think that's where McClellan is coming from. If you disagree with it, you're welcome to, and you're welcome to tell me why and what you would do. Absolutely. It's, a, it's an interesting discussion point because, like I said, they're not scoring, so something has to change. I, but I wouldn't mess around with Nugent Hopkins, and I would not give Dreisaitl his own line and for the same thing because I don't, think, I don't think you can all of a sudden expect wingers who aren't doing anything to look that much better with a better center. I think, if anything, you're holding Dreisaitl back. The one thing I might be open to, especially with uh, the injuries that keep hammering the team, 
is is maybe putting Dreisaitl with Nugent Hopkins and Lucic and putting Puglia-Yarvi with Maroon and McDavid. But I also think Puglia-Yarvi has played well enough to earn the opportunity to stay with Nugent Hopkins and Lucic. We got Jeff on the line, 780-496-0063. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Reed. Uh Just a quick thought. Um, what about looking at a guy like Nikita Soshnikov? Because I know there's a waiver issue going on in Toronto with him, and he would be cheap, and he's shown he can. He has flashes of where he can put the puck in the net, and he also he hits and skates well, too. Uh, I, how long is he under contract, Jeff? I'm not sure off the top of my head. Uh, I can't remember. I, he either signed a two-year deal or a three-year deal. Okay. Well, I guess it would, that would depend how much Shirelli likes him. I don't know a whole bunch about the player. I, I know about the, uh, uh, what was he? He's with the Marlies, and he might he might pull something like the Vegas guy pulled, right? Well... That, vague, that whole Vegas situation was just terrible to begin with. Right. Well, actually, okay, Shostakov's an unrestricted free agent on J- July 1st. So he just uh, so he just has a contract for this season. Yeah, I don't know too much about the guy. I've only seen a little bit about him. Uh, I don't know. Well, you never know. I mean, would he, would he be on one of the top two lines, though? I mean, he only had nine points last year in 56 games. So he could... He could be if he was given the opportunity as an extended try. Mm-hmm. I've seen him play a little bit in Toronto where he was with a line with Kadri, and I think it was Nylander on the other side, and he played really well. But he was usually fourth line just due to depth on Toronto. Right. Well, I, I think if something happens with the Oilers, it'll probably be... It could be something along those lines where you pick up somebody because I don't I don't think they're making a huge trade for a star player at this point, and I don't think they're going to trade Nugent Hopkins or Nurse or some of the rumors that have been thrown around out there. I don't see that happening. That you know that's he's Shostakov is an interesting one. Uh, obviously, a little younger. They they need some guys who can move. So I I, I, I can't tell you if that's going to happen, Jeff. But Shirelli could look at adding somebody that's sort of on the outs with his with his organization that isn't fitting in there because they sure could use some speed too, if nothing else, on the bottom six, right? Yeah, and I just I say his name because if if he's on outs with Toronto, you could get him for you know not a whole lot, and it would be worth that. You know, it's one of those guys you could see. Well, if it doesn't work out, okay. We tried. Jeff, thanks for calling, buddy. That's Jeff, 780-496-0063. we got to take a timeout. It's 620 Inside Sports on 630 Chat. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. So the Oilers play the Golden Knights tomorrow. It's on 630 Chad, 530 for the face-off show. The play-by-play will start at 7. Mike texting into 630-630. He says, I would like to see Nugent Hopkins with Dreisaitl as I think he has a high hockey IQ. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I, I think, Mike, you're on the same page as me there, that at this point, if I was going to shake it up, I think I would just put Dreisaitl with Nugent Hopkins and Pulu Yarvi with McDavid and Maroon. I, don't, I wouldn't put Dreisaitl on his own line and... 
burden him with guys who aren't producing. And and I think Strom, though I know he doesn't have a ton of points, I think Strom has looked better at center. Uh, this texture says, Reed, do you think this season is a write-off? What do you think needs to change, players or more offensive coaching? Well, no, I don't think the season is a write-off. The Oilers, yes, they are second last in the West. Uh, they're also four points out of the playoffs. So I, I don't think we're at the point of saying the season is a write-off. I think in terms of what needs to change, players are more offensive coaching. Um I think a few things need to change, but I don't know if anything needs to be drastically overhauled. I mean, I mentioned the shooting percentage is lower than what you would expect. I think some of it is that they just got to convert their opportunities. And I think some of the chances they're getting will start going in. I don't think the power play is going to be in the bottom five in the NHL the entire season. I think maybe the approach on the power play might need to change, and I think that's a combination probably of of the coaching and of the mentality of the players. I I think that second unit has looked better the last couple of games over top of the McDavid and Drysaddle unit because they're moving the puck a little quicker and, and they're shooting the puck, they're shooting more though the McDavid unit did get that goal against the New York Rangers. I I still think on the power play, they can be guilty of trying to pass the puck into the net as opposed to just firing at the net and trying to create some scrums scrums and rebounds. Again, with player changes, I I think we're at the point in the season now if there's a player change, it's for a depth player, maybe someone who could add some speed and penalty-killing proficiency to the bottom six. I don't think there's going to be a big overhaul of the roster. There's no way the season is a write-off. No offense to whoever texted in. I'm a little surprised you would ask that. I mean, I don't think we're at the stage with the roster they had and what they accomplished last season that we're waving the white towel 17 games into the season. I hope people aren't thinking that. You can text 630-630. Call in number 780-496-0063. Blake Dermott is coming up. Darius Bowman from your Edmonton Eskimos. And you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Riley takes the snap. Goes play action with Gable. He's got some time. He's going to the end zone. There it is. Touchdown, Eskimos. Darius Bowman takes the first pie out of the oven. There's the snap. Riley will give it to Gable. Gable will put his way to the 10. Inside the 10 to the 5. What a great run by C.J. Gable. Still on his feet. Does he get into the end zone? Touchdown, Eskimos. C.J. Gable would not be denied. Roddy takes a deep drop. Pats once and throws. Zilstra's got it at the 10. He's all alone to the end zone. Touchdown, Eskimos. Brandon Zilstra hops his way into the end zone. Three receivers to the right side, including Kelvin McCarty. There's Roddy, takes the snap. Pats the ball once, goes deep. He's got Bowman absolutely wide open, and he just waltzes into the end zone. Touchdown, Eskimos. Adarius Bowman's got a pair. Hand off to Gable, still on his feet inside the five. He leaps into the air. Touchdown, Eskimos. C.J. Gable with the touchdown. 38-16 now, oh, the score. Running away with it now, the Edmonton Eskimos. This was a 10-10 game at the half, folks. Eskimos in Calgary on Sunday to play the Stampeders for the right to represent the West 
in the Grey Cup game. Morley Scott, Dave Campbell with the call yesterday. Eskimos 39-32 over Winnipeg. Wasn't that close. It was 39-16 for the Eskimos with about eight minutes left. Bombers, I mean, made it semi-interesting, but they got their last touchdown with no time left. Inside Sports, Reed Wilkins coming to you at 6.35. Blake Dermott, former Edmonton Eskimo, our Inside the Game analyst here on 6.30. Chad, Blake, thanks for coming back on the show. Buddy, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, it was a heck of a game to watch yesterday. For if you're an Eskimo fan, that's for sure. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it was a. It was pretty nice what happened in, in the second half. I, I thought. Uh, you know, I, I thought both teams played well in the first half. There were some good offensive plays. There were some good defensive plays. And then Blake, I, I got to start with with the headline. And I was I was googling some stuff. Uh, you know, from the Winnipeg publications today, and it, it's certainly being talked about. It's 11-10 for Edmonton. Bombers are third and three on their own 42, and and they fake a punt. I mean, there's a lot I want to ask you about that, but first of all, just especially coming as an ex-player, what, what did you think of that call? You know, when, when, when you look at the track record that, that Winnipeg has had with special teams and those kinds of calls, it's pretty darn good. And and I think sometimes when you when you, um, when you when you are forced to use that kind of a play, a trick play, something like that, you do two things. You you it gets in your head where you're really confident that it's going to work, or you have a uh, uh, you have a desperation that we need to do something to turn this thing around or to get this thing kickstarted. And if that works, then it's it's a great motivating uh, uh, piece of uh, uh, football uh, uh, play that a, that a coach comes up with. If it doesn't work, and you're of the mindset that, that Wow, we need something, and that that something doesn't happen. It can be really, really deflating, and and I think that's what happened with Winnipeg at that time. You know, they uh, when you consider that Edmonton had four drops in that first half, and 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 those drops were on drive killers. Those were those were plays that were, and, and we're not talking about tough catches. Those were plays that hit, uh, balls that hit guys right in the chest. I think that had those, you know, the guys that normally make those catches, the guys that made those catches in the second half, if, if, if they had made those catches, this game would not have been that close at the end of the half. And I believe that the Winnipeg staff kind of had that feeling, and I think that's why they, I think this was a, a desperation thing where they were trying to pull something, a little trick out of a bag, and, and, uh, and Watson, I believe, it was a player that uh, sniffed it out and made the great play. So was that Watson blowing up the play, like maybe the Eskimos were ready for it, or, or did the Bombers not execute the blocking properly? What do you think happened? I think it's, I, I think it's probably this, the, uh, every time you've got one of those plays and they fail, it's always going to be, if you talk to a coach, we didn't block the guy, we mm-hmm. missed the guy, we did this. Um, but I also think that uh, Edmonton going into this thing, and, and you know, Jason Moss is, is intimately familiar with the, uh, with Winnipeg's coaching staff, and and uh, I mean, he coached with those guys in Toronto. I think uh, some, a lot of them in Toronto, so he knows what they're capable of. And I'm sure that the Eskimos' defense or the the special teams guys were hypersensitive to every kind of play. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I thought Watson just did a great job of reading it and getting through the line and making the play when he needed to make a play. Blake, I, you know, I love asking you stuff about what happened in your career or or the things that happen on a, on a sideline. I mean, I don't know if you were on punt block or field goal block for most or all of your career, but, yeah, I mean, if you were a Winnipeg receiver or a guy that just left the field 
third and three, and then you kind of look up and you're like, oh, wait, what did we just do? Oh, my God, it didn't work. Like, is that, is that a frustrating feeling? Do you get a little do you get a little angry or, or, or upset? Or, like you said, do you just say, well, I got a coach where that's usually worked. I guess we tried something and it didn't work. We got to keep playing. Like, what's what's the, the feeling like for the players on the side? Because I assume not every player... I assume only the 12 guys on the field for Winnipeg knew what was called. The rest of the guys maybe were surprised as anybody. Yeah, yeah but you, you see that happening during the course of the week. You see the plays that you're, you're working on, the, uh, the, the types of fakes that you're working on. So, so you may not know exactly when, when, when it's called, as you said, but when it does happen, and, and I mean, it, like I said, when, when you do a fake and, and it works, oh, my God, it's like one of the greatest things that you can do uh, as far as lifting your team up. But when it goes south, when it goes south, it's uh, it's really deflating. Especially uh, just as you said, guys that have come off the field, uh, um, defensive guys that are, are uh, you know are are going to have to go on the field early. Uh, you know, just it, it really doesn't work out. You're expecting you're expecting a change in momentum, and the momentum goes right smashes right into your face. And uh, and it did on that play because it was at that point in the game where the Eskimos turned the tide and then and then you could you could just see it because there was a couple of plays later that CJ Gable is romping into the end zone. Uh, I think it was a, on that drive at the fifteen yards. Yep. He 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 makes a bunch of moves and runs through guys and then with six yards left to go, the whole offensive line and the rest of the offensive guys just sort of pick him up and carry him into the end zone. Right. And you could tell at that point that it was a completely different uh, Eskimo team uh, because the momentum had swung right on their side, and, and from that point on, they, the Eskimo offensive line and defensive lines dominated the line of scrimmage. And you could say that it was, it was uh, probably more in the, in the way of Winnipeg than the first half. Blake Dermott joining us inside Sports on 630. Chad, breaking down the Eskimos' playoff victory over the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And, you know, a lot of people talk about that fake punt, but, I mean, it was, so it was 18-10. They got back to 18-13. Um, and, and there was another play where, and you know what, Blake? I was, I was, I think it was while I was doing the uh, the face-off show, so I, I kind of saw it, and I didn't have the sound on, obviously. But Winnipeg lined up for that third and two and tried to draw the Eskimos offside, and Sewell jumped and then got back, which you you legally can do. You can be in that neutral's one-yard area as long as you don't cross the line of scrimmage and get back. I mean, did did the Winnipeg center and or Matt Nichols kind of mess up by not snapping or calling for the snap of the ball? Like, what good is it trying to draw a team offside if you don't snap it when they jump offside? Exactly, and that's that's what you, you are you are by the by the rule you're allowed to go into that uh, uh, neutral zone. Um, but if you're caught in the neutral zone when the ball is snapped, then then that, that's an offside penalty. Or if you jump into the neutral zone zone and force somebody else to jump off because you've you've sort of gone past the halfway point of that, then then it's then it can be called an offside. But Siebel did neither of those things. He he flinched. He got he stepped forward about a foot, so he didn't go halfway across the line, and then he stepped back. And he, he actually, you know, it was quite odd. I think he was fully expecting the ball to be snapped because he didn't step back really quickly. Mm-hmm. He just kind of stepped in, ah, oh, darn, and then stepped back, and then nothing happened, so the way they went. And so I, I, I think that you're right. That was, that was an error in, uh, in the, uh, the center, uh, not snapping the ball. But you know what? I, I, it's tough to tell because, you know, as a center, you're supposed to be looking straight ahead and catching the stuff in your peripheral. And Sewell being one of the tackles, so he's going to be easy to spot. Uh, but if if you were concentrating to the one direction and you didn't see him jump, it would have been real difficult for you to, you know, to to snap the ball if you didn't even see it. Right. All right. The Eskimos got three passing touchdowns. 
Riley wound up throwing for 334 yards. Zilstra, another huge game. Eight receptions, 156 yards. Bowman had three catches. Two of them went for touchdowns. The three touchdowns specifically, Blake, I mean, guys were wide open. Zilstra, when he caught his... He turned around and looked like he thought he was going to get hit, and then he was like, I think I can just walk into the end. So uh, what what happened on those plays? Was that just Winnipeg? I mean, and look, Blake, I, you, you know I watch, and I, I like to ask you the questions. I thought Winnipeg was playing a zone, which to me indicates the defense should at least have a guy in the area of the field. But the Eskimos players just got wide open. What happened on those touchdowns? Well, I think I wasn't in the huddle to even know what the call would have been. I'm not sure what the defense was because the camera angles are difficult to tell that. Mm-hmm. But, but there was a reason why Winnipeg was the worst team against the pass in the CFL this year. Uh, there was an awful lot of reasons for that. Now, that's either because the communication from the defensive coordinator to his players was, was not something that was picked up. There could have been, you know, Winnipeg did have a number of players that were out, uh, um, and this was their. This is where Edmonton was eight games ago, where Winnipeg was. They had a number of players that were injured and not available for this game. So you got you got guys that are not used to playing beside guys playing in this game, and uh, and that's why I think Edmonton is in a situation that is so much different than everybody else uh, going into this uh, the the finals here coming up because they've been through it. They have a ton of guys with that kind of experience, and they got out of this game unscathed. And I think what happened in the Winnipeg game was there was some miscommunication. The call came in. Some guy thought, I, I, you know, maybe I'm supposed to do, maybe I got man. I'm expecting this kind of help. Uh, because whenever you got man, if, you, if, you're, if you're playing a cover one, which is a one guy deep, and you've got man, you always have to be, the ability to be able to funnel guys to the center of the field. Mm. And because you've got a safety that's free. But if the safety picks up a read and jumps somebody else. Now when you're funneling a guy to the center of the field, that safety's not there anymore. And that's what I think happened with Zilstra. Zilstra came into the center of the field. The safety was gone on a deep route. He jumped uh, jumped a particular route. And when Zilstra caught the ball, it was... He turned around, and you're right. He, I think he fully he had two hands on the ball, expected to take a shot, and just realized, wow, I'm, I'm going to make this. Uh, I'm going to uh, get a touchdown on this. And Bowman, same thing, deep, deep, deep part of the end zone. Obviously some miscommunication with the personnel. And I think Loeffler is their safety, and this is a guy who led the team in tackles. He's very, very aggressive. And I think that's one of the things the Eskimos might have been able to take advantage of. It's the first time that a non-linebacker, uh, I think, in, in, uh, in the CFL has led the team in tackles. And your safety is up making tackles at the line of scrimmage and forcing the play and making run plays. He's very, very aggressive. And I think if you run routes underneath on him, he maybe he's jumping these routes really quickly and then routes are coming open behind him or in areas where he should be helping. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons why they, uh, the Eskimos had that kind of success with guys running free. Blake Dermott joining us inside sports on 630 Chet. It's 646. Okay, getting ready for Calgary now on Sunday. Do you put any stock into how Calgary finished the season and that maybe somehow they're at a disadvantage going into that West final? Absolutely. I, uh, I mean, I, I come from a time, though, you got to remember <laughs> you know, that I come from a time when... <laughs> the last century, Blake. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I was talking with... Uh, yeah, it is the last century. I was talking with uh, uh, a former teammate of mine uh, on the weekend, uh, Ed Jones, whose son is the, was uh, uh, a special teams player uh, 
uh, with with Winnipeg and and uh, has started some games as defensive back position, and uh, and we were talking about how how much time guys get off. Like you know when 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 you look at what Matt Nichols he practiced one time last week in a playoff game, and Matt Nichols threw for 360 yards. And uh, you know it, it, when we we had a week off, we were we had one day to watch film, and then we were back at it. Like rarely did you uh, rarely did you get the days off for for any kind of relief. So when I see when I so when people ask me this, and I see that Calgary lost three games in a row, like they hadn't lost two games in a row since 2012, I think it was. So to lose three games in a row and then have two weeks to stew about it, mm-hmm. two weeks to think about it, I think that this is a team that has so much experience and so much, uh, so many really super uh, players on their roster. But they are, they're going to go into this game never having felt this kind of pressure before because they're expected to win. They've had two weeks off. They've, they've lost three games in a row, so, you know, damn it, they've got to stop that slide, and now we've got to win. And I think that's a, a completely different position than they've been in in the last five, six years, and, and I think that works to Edmonton's favor because I still think that there's some guys over there uh, down in Calgary that are a little bit banged up, and Edmonton is battle-tested and war-ready. Blake, it's going to be fun. I mean, it's it's exciting the way the Eskimos are playing. I, I, I hate to compare year to year, but there are some shades of of, uh, of 2015, though they're obviously going to have to be on the road for the West Final rather than at home. Going to be a great matchup. Uh, give me uh, give me 30 seconds on Saskatchewan Toronto. Well, I, I, I kind of like Saskatchewan, but you know what? I, uh, I, I think Saskatchewan is playing really, really well. Um, but one of the things that everybody said... Uh, after the game, uh, they, Kevin Glenn may have played his best game that he's played, mm-hmm. and uh, and Kevin Glenn has played an awful long time. And that was his, if that's his best game, I'm not sure that's going to be good enough for Toronto, because I don't think that uh, I, I think that Toronto it, it obviously is a better team than Ottawa, and um, I think that it's going to be. Uh, um, I think Toronto's going to have a great opportunity to be able to knock Saskatchewan off, and I I don't think Saskatchewan is there yet. But it, it's gonna. It could be a good game if Glenn plays really well. But that's not the same team in, in Toronto, and I think Toronto's a pretty darn good team. Blake, it's always great to have you on the show. I, uh, I guess we're going to be doing this again next Monday, buddy. Regardless of what happens, so well, I hope I'll, we got a couple more weeks. I'll send you the text reminder. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm, I'm good with that. There's Blake Dermott checking in, our Eskimos analyst here on 6.30 Chet. Edmonton, Calgary, going to be fun, coming up on Sunday. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 6.30 Chet. Monday Night Football, Miami, Carolina, scoreless. Six minutes left in the first quarter. NHL tonight, Carolina and Dallas tied 1-1 after two. Aho and Radulov have the goals. St. Louis is in Calgary tonight. The Blues are 13-4-1. Calgary's 9-7. The Oilers will host the Blues on Thursday night. Tomorrow, the Vegas Golden Knights in town. Brian Blessing from the Vegas Hockey Hotline is coming up after the 7 o'clock news. Vegas 10-5-1, though just 2-4-1 in their last seven. Tomorrow's game for Furnace Family, Edmonton's Furnace Replacement Experts. Call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. Face-off show is going to be at 5.30. The game will start at 7. Fake punts. 2004 West semifinal. What was it, third and 22? The Eskimos try to 
fake punt in a low-scoring game against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Wound up losing Tom Higgins' last game as head coach. I don't know if any of you thought of that in the uh, Winnipeg after the Winnipeg play yesterday, but I sure did. That's an interesting one. You know, it was it was third and three. You catch the other team off guard. Shouldn't be that tough to get three yards, but Corey Watson made a great play, and then it was up to the Eskimos to take advantage, and they just started rolling after that, so good for them. Ryan says, uh, hey, Reed, I, this is on the text line. He says, I've heard so many people say to keep Connor and Leon together, including media experts. They're 31st in scoring. Doesn't this stat alone end this debate? Split them up already. That's from Ryan. Well, Ryan, I can't speak for other people in the media, but I know my uh, partner Rob Brown wants to keep them together. He totally believes they should be together all the time, even if the rest of the roster were scoring. He would want them together. This uh, Trent from up north, he says, Reed, here are the lines. McDavid between Maroon and Pugliarvi. Nugent Hopkins between Lucic and Dreisaitl. Cassian, Stroman, Kara, Pakarinen, Latestu, and Jokinen flip-flop the bottom six any night. See, Trent, yeah, Trent's leaving the top six basically the same. He's just putting Dreisaitl with Nugent Hopkins instead of McDavid. So... That is, that is, I mean, there's a, here's the thing. There's a couple variations. There's splitting up McDavid and Dreisaitl, but that doesn't mean giving Dreisaitl his own line because a lot of you want him with Nugent Hopkins. Rod from Edmonton says, my prediction is the Eskimos and the Argos in the final. The Eskimos time to get the Grey Cup this year, and then we host it next year. Go Esks. This texter says, hey, Reed, do you think the Eskimos can keep this group together and become a perennial powerhouse like Calgary? Calgary always seems to keep their players together for a few years, while the Eskimos have been losing their top players to the NFL. Gable, Grimes, Mitchell, etc., are important places. pieces. Going to be interesting to see what happens with Grimes and Walker if they want to go back and try the NFL. Both C.J. Gable and John White are free agents. Who would you sooner have a running back? Brian Blessing from Vegas coming up. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.